This is the business of sports. Should Major League Baseball shorten up the season? How do we present football to the audience of the future? I don't think that most players understand the power that they have. Michael Barr. The future of IndyCar racing is looking bright. Scott Soshnick. Very basic math here. More bidders means more money. Evan Novi Williams. The team value has essentially quadrupled. And the leaders in the sports industry. Time to bring in our guest, Hal Steinbrenner. National Hockey League Commissioner Gary Bettman. Atlanta Braves President Derek Schiller. Patriots President Jonathan Kraft. Bloomberg Business of Sports. From Bloomberg Radio. Hello, I'm Scott Soshnick. And I'm Eben Novi-Williams. Every week at this time, plus Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. This week, Eben, just you and me, because our friend Michael Barr is hanging out in Detroit with the family, enjoying the Tigers. On this week's show, we speak with the general manager of the playoff-bound Brooklyn Nets, Sean Marks. But first, let's get to some topics, Scott, and the big story this week in sports. Obviously, the Masters and all eyes again are on this guy. To me, it's I'm still working on it, still trying to get better. I'm still trying to uh, win more events. But I think that um, winning at Eastlake confirmed to me that I can still win again. That, of course, is Tiger Woods talking about a a title that he won last year, his first in five years. Is Tiger Woods back? Yeah, he's back. The guy's playing well. Eldrick is a what? What did the do the odds makers say, Mister? Uh, he's Wimsey's between fourteen and ten to one, depending right, on where so you are. So that's near yeah. the top. Yeah, it's top I mean, five. He's not Royal yeah. McIlroy, but he's top five. Yeah, Eldrick is back, baby, which is great news for everybody associated with the Masters and golf. Because as we have seen countless times, you can talk to me about the young guns all you want. <laughs> you can talk to me about <laughs> so the young other guys. <laughs> yeah, whatever. You can talk about anything you want with golf. But I'm always asking, as are many, many, many other people, where's Tiger? What's he up to? Is he in striking distance? Did he make the cut? Is he going to be in red on Sunday? And that's the guy everybody watches. Yeah, absolutely. And you're, you're not alone there. Nielsen. I said that. The, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Nielsen, the, 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 the measurement company, uh, sent over some interesting stats uh, this week that, that we put, to, put together in a quick story. Um, obviously, of the four majors, uh, the Masters generates the most in exposure, you know, because of the, the eyeballs and the people watching it. However, it is also the stingiest when it comes to sponsorships. Um, for, for folks who are fans out there, they know uh, the Masters only has three corporate partners. It's Mercedes-Benz, it's AT&T, uh, and it's IBM. Um, and they're leaving a lot of money on the table. Millions, tens of millions, possibly hundreds of millions of dollars um, by, 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 by doing it But their brand gets a lot of boost. Their brand gets a lot of boost. And that's what they want. And just one thing Masters Associated, let me give a shout out to Steve Politi, the Newark Star Ledger. Talk about finding a different angle on a story. If you haven't seen it, take a, take a look at Politi. He wrote about it's a bad week to die in Augusta because like nobody's going to go to your funeral. The traffic is terrible. You can't even get around to the cemeteries. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's actually, it, it's very good. It's a, it's an interesting way to get it. Check that out. And speaking of dying, uh, the AAF. Oh, uh, Medina. <laughs> died a... The talented Evan Novi Williams. He's playing trafficker. He's got like this side of the street. Stop this one coming. <laughs> that was a very nice that segue. Was really, I'm very that impressed. That was very good segue. It's not a nice segue if we interrupted to talk about the segue. No, no, no. Still, your segue counts because <laughs> I mean, that was, yeah. I mean, normally bars the traffic cop, but that was really good. The Alliance of American Football, it disbanded a couple weeks ago. Uh, in unsurprising news, we have our first lawsuit. Uh, it is a class action lawsuit uh, filed by a, a few players uh, Colton Schmidt, a punter for the Birmingham Iron, uh, and Reggie Northrup, a linebacker for the Orlando Apollos. Um, this is the first of what I assume is going to be many different lawsuits trying to get at 
one, why this happened, and B, uh, is is there some liability there for doing it? Before we get to that, though, yeah, yeah, a one and a B. Well, he he see he regressed. He had the great traffic cop, but then he went one and not two. I one hate everybody. <laughs> but you got a haircut too, by the way. Um, <laughs> see, yeah, that's that's why he's like, Samson. He's like Samson. He gets the haircut and, he's, and it all goes. But I did not pay attention to this at the when the league launched. I didn't watch too much of it. Yeah. But now that hearing you say it, they needed better names for the teams. <laughs> The hot shots are the best team. Yeah, like hot shots was yeah. good. But then there's like the iron and the yeah, they needed better names. Yeah, but as for this, listen, we haven't heard from Charlie Ebersol. The league put out a statement on Twitter on what is it, like ten or eleven o'clock on a Friday night saying yeah, brutal. Yeah, this didn't really work out like we wanted. Sorry. That's it. Nobody's name was on it. We heard a little from Bill Polian. You gotta hear from Charlie Ebersol. And Tom Dundon. Yeah, and and there will be other lawsuits, uh, and there will be juicy ones. This is not a juicy one. I've, I've read most of it uh, so far. I haven't read the whole thing. This appears to be players who are saying, you know, they put themselves in harm's way, uh, believing in something that wasn't there, and there are media statements that these guys made saying, you know, we're healthy, we have a sober business plan, etc. Speaking of media <laughs> statements, thank you, Medina. Very nice. Thank Very nice. You. Yeah, big 12 got a new deal with ESPN uh, on the digital side. Yeah, we have another big uh, college big. sports, uh, you know, multi, multi, multi million dollar uh, media rights deal. They don't have their own network. They don't have the their Big own 12 network. Twelve is which, the only major that doesn't have its Texas own network. Texas kind of, you know, screw them out of by by going the going the Longhorn Network route with ESPN. What ten years ago now, right? They they were so ahead of the curve that Welcome they even horns. beat the beat the conference. But this is a deal that you know doesn't fully include either Texas or Oklahoma. Oklahoma has a deal with Fox. Longhorn Network is with ESPN. But that's that's the surprise to me here that it leaves that untouched. Yeah, it kind of has to, right? Like those are I those guess. are pre-existing things. Yeah, the problem is that those are, if you look at the Big Twelve schools, the two crown jewels from a and popularity they're share the money standpoint. On this. Yeah, yeah, they're going to share some of the money. Um, but for the rest of the Big Twelve, you know, this puts the you know, I think three of the next five Big Twelve championship games on ESPN Plus. Yeah. Another win for ESPN Plus. A lot of the other schools, you know, the the other yeah, the other eight schools, I guess, in the Big Twelve could have a lot of content on on ESPN Plus. Um, but you know, it solidifies the Big Twelve in terms of the payout. We talk about this a lot. The payout each conference gives to its schools solidifies the Big Twelve as firmly as number three behind the Big Ten and the SEC. Think about this just in the world of sports business. You've got this going on. You've got Disney selling the Fox RSNs. You've got the Disney Channel as sort of direct to consumer now. Busy time for Disney, and as we already mentioned, it's a busy time for Michael Barr, who is on vacation this week. But Evan, he's missing a great interview with a great guest. Yeah, and we've got a good one. We have the general manager of the Brooklyn Nets, Sean Marks. And Scott, as you know, you know Sean's got quite the background. Born and raised in I'm New so Zealand. Old, I covered Sean Marks, the player, like the, <laughs> the early player. Born and raised in New Zealand, played college at the Cal Golden Bears, drafted by the Knicks, which is where I assume you you met him first. I, um, I met him. I met people everywhere. <laughs> I don't know where I was. Played for a bunch of teams, including the Spurs, where he won an NBA title. Then became front office, you know, alongside R.C. Buford and, and Greg Popovich, who are you know influential in his career. Now, he's the general manager of the Brooklyn Nets, who are headed to the playoffs for the first time in four years. Some intro, but Mr. Sean, thanks so much for taking some time to chat with us. Pleasure. Thanks for having me on. You got it. What I want to start with you is culture, because we hear so much about that coming out of Brooklyn, that you had to change the culture. You hear it all the time. Can you tell me what is step one, I do mean step one, of changing culture? (laughs) Yeah, well, I think you, you, step one for me here was was trying to define a a vision, 
Um, but that vision starts with getting the right people. So it was the right people on board here. Uh, I was very fortunate that um, you know a lot of the people that I, I, I went after when I first took the job, um, you know, believed in that vision and that the process and the challenge that was was ahead of us, and they all sacrificed something. So everybody that came here left something behind or had to give up something. They all had great jobs wherever they were in the world and said, look, okay, I want to go and see if I can do this. I can see if I can. I, can I build something special in Brooklyn? Can I be a part of something bigger than myself? So it's really about finding the right character fit and right, the right people on board. And not only that, but is it also true that the physical space contributes to culture as well? Like part of the team was in downtown Brooklyn. Some had the training facility. Do you have to have everybody under the same roof listening to the same music in the elevator to have that culture permeate an organization? Yeah. I don't know if they will have to be in and amongst it at all times. You know, I think it's healthy to venture out and then come back in. I, I do like the sort of fresh set of eyes uh, approach when, you know, even when I go and scout in Europe and I'm, I'm gone for two weeks and what do I pick up from wherever I am and, and come back in here Huh, have we thought about doing something a little differently or I was in this meeting and this happened and so forth but um, so I do like people venturing out I don't like them you know being you know in their offices all day I think one thing about our space here is we're very fortunate the the space is is a collaborative environment you know there's a lot of glass the flow to the building uh, works well um, there's big meeting spaces you know I, I don't like the cubicle closed-door office approach, especially where we're at. We're looking at this as more of a startup approach where it's going to take a collaborative effort. Everybody's going to have to, you know, jump in and pipe in, and, you know, I, I value their contributions. That's why they signed up here. So, um, you know, that, that's what I look forward to every day. We want to get to your, your playing career in a second, but but when you took over at the Nets, is that 2016, is that right? Correct, yeah. Okay. Um the Nets before you got there, obviously, you know they they had a number of bigger, olding, older, aging stars. You know, Paul Pierce, Kevin uh, Kevin Garnett. Um, you took over a team and then started kind of a, a bigger rebuild. How important was it for you to kind of set the tone for what was a new phase of the franchise than than the one that I guess fans were used to when the team moved to Brooklyn originally? Yeah, no, no, no definitely. Um... I think no matter who takes over any particular organization or ship, it's going to be important that they put their fingerprints all over it. And you know, initially, definitely, there was there was a more micromanaging approach, more hands-on approach from me. Um, that's just sort of part of the nature. Whereas, I think what we've done is we've slowly moved and um, and. Um, you know, gone on to where it's a real collaborative approach, and people are now. Uh, I've I've been so welcomed and, and loved the, the the way people have developed along the road here. That you know, they've taken the initiative to um, to go out on their own and bring something back to our organization. So it's now about them presenting to us, and we're and we're all better off because of 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 what people have learned elsewhere. We're speaking with Sean Marks, GM of the Brooklyn Nets, uh, himself also a former NBA player. You won an NBA championship with the Spurs. After retiring, you worked in the front office of the Spurs for a while. Um, how influential has, has Popovich been uh, on your career? Oh, I mean, terrific. That whole organization, the Spurs, it, it, were, were amazing and so impactful. You know, I, I loved my time there w without a doubt. You know, I would say, you know, I was a journeyman. I, I went around, you know, 
five different teams, you know, a couple of year stops and here, here and there and so forth. And I was, I was fortunate to be able to pick up a few things along the way. And obviously the stop in San Antonio was special, you know, winning a, winning a championship uh, as a player and then uh, as, a, as a coach. But, but Pop, you know, the way he, uh, he's able to phrase things for you and, you know, a lot of times, you know, with him, it's, it's not rocket science. You know, he'll, you know, he'll arise a decision very quickly and it'll be things that go back to, you know, just, just the big picture ideas. What are your big rocks? What are the things that really stand out and make it important? Sometimes you can overthink things a lot. But, you know, with Pop, it always came down to, you know, we're not doing anything that's going to um, take anything away from what Tim, Tony, and Manu and the rest of the group have sort of established here. They have to be a culture fit. They have to be part of something bigger than themselves. So it was it was pretty easy when you had those requirements as to like you know what you're scouting for and what you're looking for to add to the group. Is there a moment you know in your time in San Antonio, either as a player or as an executive, that stands out to you as the moment when you went, God, I, I understand now why this franchise is, is, is so much different or more successful than, than so many of the other ones out there? You know what? It would be – I really couldn't do it justice if I said there was there one moment or, or, or even ten moments because I, I think there was, there was moments probably every day, every interaction I had with both Pop and RC that, you know, they set themselves above the rest, little things like, you know, they knew my kids' names. That's important, you know, when you – when you're part of a family and you're going to preach this family culture, this family dynamic, and and really respect and realize the sacrifices that go on at home, um, not just for the guys on the court, you know, you got to live it. And they lived it, and you know everybody else, you know, fell into line, and we we all lived it, and that's that's the culture we all pushed, and that's certainly the culture that we're we're pushing here too. We are chatting with Sean Marks, the GM of the Brooklyn Nets, and you mentioned RC. That, of course, is RC Buford, longtime executive. How much does stability have to do with success? Those are some long-standing coach, executive. You yep. see a lot of teams with turnover. Is that one of the things you'll look at? That lots of turnover, whether it be roster, front office, does not lead to success. Yeah, no, I would I would agree with you. I, I think there's there's a fine line, and obviously with Pop and RC, you, you have to have you know for in order to have that type of continuity, you have to have you know, the success comes. Like you have to win. You're not going to keep you know a GM and a head coach and everything in place for two decades without winning multiple championships, like they did in San Antonio. So at the end of the day, I think we all realize you know what weighs on us is is our win loss and our record and so forth, and the continued development and growth of your players and so forth and you know buy-in from fan base and, and and everything else but it also comes from an ownership group and i think we're very very fortunate in brooklyn where we've got you know two very dynamic very diverse uh, ownership groups you know with you know michael prokhorov and, and joe sai now um as 51 and 49 percent you know equity stakes in the team respectively so to have that is and have that dynamic is, is something that I cherish and, re- and really enjoy. I enjoy picking the, both of their brains about whether it's negotiating, whether it's you know how they ran run their businesses and so forth, and how they got to where they are. I mean, they're obviously both very successful, you know, businessmen. So that's a that's a great dynamic to have on our side. We are chatting with Sean Marks, the GM of the Brooklyn Nets. I have spoken with the likes of Pat Riley about sort of their business dynamics and. Riley, for Italian evaluator, tells me you need to be around every day. You need to see and breathe the locker room. I've also yep. heard that about ownership. However, your owners are not there every day. 
So does it come from the top, or what do they do? Is it empowering the folks under them to allow the success to happen? Well, I think they they empower us by listening to our decisions that we make, and I think it's twofold. I, I need to, for lack of a better term, educate the owners on these are the ramifications. If we do this, this is likely going to happen, or if we don't do this, this is what we may face. And you know, there's a lot of things that can change pretty quickly in this business. So, you know, I'm a big uh, proponent of just laying it out on the table and saying, here are our options. I would rather over-communicate than under-communicate. I don't want any surprises here. And I think that's, from an ownership standpoint, they deserve the same. They they shouldn't be surprised if I call them at 2 in the morning and say, this is what we want to do. We've got to do it. We've got 20 minutes to make this decision. You know, I, I would hope that I've outlined that in the weeks, if not months, lining up to it. And then there's going to be some times where, look, at the end of the day, you just don't have that, that time, and you're going to have to make some quicker decisions. But you hope that you know, what you've got in place, whether it's your, your scouting and your analytics tools and personnel, have already done that, those, that due diligence for you. Now, obviously, Joe comes from Alibaba, and he will sometime soon, whether it's a year or two, whatever it may be, become the majority owner of the team. What can you glean from him already in terms of what he takes from that Alibaba world to what he plans to bring to the sports world? Yeah, you know, very much a family-run business. Um, I've met a lot of the people that he works with and he surrounds himself with. And again, it comes back to that very high character people that are, um, the, you know, most of the people that I interact with on that side are, are there to put Joe and Alibaba and his, and the family in, in the best place that they can, and they they know what they're doing there. Um, Joe treats them extremely well, um, so I, I I love the fact that it's it's a family-run dynamic and just the humility that 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 whole um, Joe, his family, and, and the entire uh, Alibaba group uh, and Joe Sai Sports has shown, which has been terrific. Is there ever any confusion about who the ultimate boss is right now? I mean, obviously. Joe is going to be the majority owner at some point. He's not right now. Um, kind of, how do you balance, you know, talking to, to to Joe versus talking to Michael? No, I, I look. I, I think it starts with with both of them and their and their engagement and their relationship. And from what I've seen so far, is you know, M- Michael's been great. He he knows that, you know, down the line, this is this is what could happen and so forth. But. Um, he's been very engaging with Joe and, and the two in all my interactions with them. They seem to seem to be in alignment, getting along well, and they have the best interest of the Nets at heart, which is which is extremely important here. And, and you know the the um, the transition. I think look, it'll be as seamless as as, as possible when and, and if that happens. We're talking to Sean Mark, GM of the Brooklyn Nets, and, and Sean. For, for folks who live in New York, I think a lot of them may have noticed a couple months ago a new advertising campaign that you guys pushed forward. Uh, part of that, you know, subway banners, uh, posters aimed clearly at the Wall Street crowd. Uh, I'm curious, what did you guys kind of see in either the ticket buying that you were seeing or maybe in where your fan base might be that made you guys want to target the Wall Street crowd? And was that successful? Yeah, well, I think it's definitely been successful. Uh, I mean, the numbers that... Um you know, Brett Yormark and the and the business side have been relaying to me over the course of the last really last season ha, have been on the up and up, which is just terrific. And I think that's a credit to to the business side and what they've done. But you know, ultimately, you know, the players and coaching staff here that have you know had to put a product on the floor and, and compete. But I think what the the great thing about New York and and I'm obviously not a New Yorker. You can probably tell by the accent. But <laughs> I, I had you for I, that sounded like the Bronx to me. 
<laughs> Trust me, I get confused for a lot these days. But, um, you know, I did, when I first moved here, I did spend some time living over on the Wall Street um, uh, side of things. You know, I've lived in Brooklyn. So to, to be a little bit all over here and to see how these boroughs are really connected and, you know, I, th- I think we would be silly not to try and take advantage of, you know, this everywhere and everything that New York has to offer. And that, that obviously includes that, um, you know, the ticket buying crowd. And, and if there's a group that, you know, Manhattan's moving over here, obviously we still have the Jersey crowd that are coming here and, and our home base here in Brooklyn. So the fact that we're being embraced by, by um, you know, many of the boroughs is terrific. And, and I hope that continues to grow. What is the Jersey crowd still like in terms of a, a fan base over uh, for, for for the Nets now in Brooklyn? You know, all my interactions with them have been absolutely terrific. You know, they're they're diehard fans. You know, the fact that they're they're commuting out here, that they've they've stuck with the Nets through the transition and, and through the move and and you know the ups and downs and so forth, and they're in here for the long term, and that's and that's great. I mean, I, I love the people that are you know are, are really you know, b- believe in something here and, and they want to see this grow and, and they're they're committed to, you know, again, they're sacrificing something they're having to sacrifice, whether it's a commute or, or whatever it may be. But, uh, no, it's, it's, been, it's been great to have that crowd because they can speak to the history. They can speak to the past as well. As a newly minted member of the New Jersey Residence Society, Sean, I can tell you that if you can survive the New Jersey Transit commute, losing your team to a, a different borough and state is no big deal. <laughs> You've got some masochism uh, in you if, if, you, if you're going for that. Uh, David Stern used to tell me his management philosophy sort of was, was twofold. One, micromanagement. He used to say micromanagement is vastly underrated. And then the other side was fear. He did not mind ruling with fear. What is your management philosophy? Um, Probably neither of those, um, and, and I'm not saying though that's that's wrong. I think there's a different time and yeah, different, a different strokes. Place. Yep, yep, different yeah. strokes. I also think there's a time for having appropriate fear, and I think we all should live by a little bit of that. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I live by it. Everybody should live by that. Hey, there's you know, we're we're in essence in an arms race here, and we're against 29 other teams. And what are they doing? What are they doing better than us? And you know, that's the appropriate fear that I live by. Like, hey, I don't want to read about somebody signing a player that, man, that got away from us. Why didn't we hear about this first and so forth? So, um, and, and, and the front office knows that. And, and you know, I think they're all in line and they completely understand that side of it. Um, you know, I think the biggest thing for me here is the development of, of, of staff. You know, I, I love, and I sincerely mean this, I love watching the guys and, uh, you know, both male and female grow in, in their respective roles here. Whether again, whether that's scouting, analytics, whether it's assistant GM titles, you know, director of ops, um, you name it. But whether these these people are growing and really relishing in the moment and taking advantage of what's been given to them, I think it's very rare that you know there's a a team that has a a city that's sitting right in front of them that we need to take advantage of. Who can we get out in front of out there? You know, in in Brooklyn, New York, New Jersey, and so forth. What companies are doing things that are just terrific that we can learn from, and it doesn't have to be sports. So, I love watching our group develop and and grow over the years, and and they are certainly certainly doing that. Which companies out there are doing it well, and what have you learned? 
Well, I, I don't want to give away all our little uh, secrets here, but I, I guess what I would say is it's aligning ourselves with companies out here that obviously strategic thinkers. Um, we're very fortunate to have Infor as you know, our Jersey Patch sponsor, and they're a company like us. I mean, they chose to uh, you know, come to Manhattan and be here where they could have set up shop really anywhere in the world, let alone the States. So they're here. Um, they're very progressive. You know, I love some of their ideas. They've helped us a lot. But there's also just getting in front of, uh, you mentioned the Wall Street crowd before. Is it getting, going out there and getting in front of, um, in their offices? Is it getting in Google offices and so forth? There's a lot of places that we visit with and, and go out there. The entrepreneurs, there's a, you know, a big startup community now that's you know, moved over into the Brooklyn area. So there's a lot of things going for you know, w- where the nets reside, and, and we just have to be the ones to take advantage of that. How, are we, how have you handled sort of the Me Too movement time? How do you look at your workplace and diversity? Have you made efforts to include more women, more minorities? Yeah, uh, 100%. I think I, I'm a firm believer in that, and I think that comes from, again, you know, my past, you know, where I grew up, and, and, and obviously the sporting past and the teams I was around. You know, I love that. I love that diverse thinking. Um, and I think it's the real-world approach. Look, you're not going to walk down the street and not see diversity, especially in, in, a, in a borough like, like Brooklyn. And, and, you know, we want that. I want that in here. We've hired um, multiple diverse candidates, whether, you know, female or different ethnic, ethnic diversities. But at the end of the day, we want to hire the best people. And that's the bottom line here. And our, our jobs here are going to be open, you know, to those best candidates. And, again, that starts from from internship programs all the way through and and I'm I'm very proud of what not only the 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 boss operations side but the the business side has done here from from a diversity and a me too movement. Sean, you're in the playoffs for the first time in 4 or 5 years. I think the first time in your tenure. Um, are there any business metrics you can share with us about, you know, how, you know, how business has been better when the team has been better this year versus some of the years past? Well, I mean, we can we can talk about the um, you know the ticket sales and so forth, and I know you know we're up you know over 100% on you know revenue and and so forth and and, and ticket sales and and um, you know season ticket sales, which is great, and that's continuing to steadily climb. Uh, you know, I think if you come, I don't know if you guys have you know personally been out to a Nets game. If you look at you know our crowds over the past month. You know, I love looking up in the crowds and seeing the same fans in the same seats. So, you know, that tells me that people are buying in. That tells me people are here, and it could be a Monday night, it can be a Friday night. It doesn't matter. They're here, which is great. And, uh, you know, again, it, it's going to be an interesting, you know, little time here. And I think, you know, obviously with our first playoff berth here, that, that's pretty special. And it's, you know, one rung up on the ladder. You know, we, we know we've got a long way to go and a lot, uh, you know, we want, want to achieve a lot more than, you know, just making the playoffs. Um, but it'll happen all in due time, right? And, and how we build something that's going to be sustainable, that that fan base I talked about can really get behind and say, look, I, I want to be supporters of this group for, for many, many years, if not decades to come. All right, Sean, we'll let you go on this one. Let's pretend I am a stud-free agent and I really, really have a desire to live in New York, which means I, I have the opportunity to sign with the Knicks and the Nets. Tell me why I should pick Brooklyn. Well, you know I can't give you the full pitch, and I'm not actually allowed to give you the full pitch, but I, I, will, I will say this. I'll just say what we have going for us here with our coaching staff, 
um, and the development system that they've put in place, the sweat equity, you know, is, is really second to none. I think we've seen, you know, multiple guys come in here um, and, and achieve and really um, – You've seen the uptick in their performance. They've completely bought into the coaching, the performance staff, and so forth. And you know, our hands-on sweat equity and player care. Um, you know, I, I would again put that up against anything here. But it, it's it's a fun environment to be around, and you know, I'm certainly lucky to be a part of it. All right, Sean Marks, general manager of the playoff-bound Brooklyn Nets. Thank you very much. Cheers, guys. All right, Eben, it's time for our takeaways. My takeaway from Sean Marks is the guy studied and put in the time. You can't just become a general manager. It doesn't matter. I don't care how many years you've played in the league. You have to learn the business side. You have to be around. And to do it under Pop and R.C. Buford, that's a great internship, a great way to kind of figure out how this all works. And it's clear in talking to Sean that he has sort of exported that Spurs way. Now, let's remember, he also had David Robinson, Tim Duncan. You know, Pop had a great franchise player with a great attitude, or two of them. It was always about the team, not about me. That's not easy to recreate. But they're trying to at least replicate that culture of San Antonio, that family, that we're in it together, and you're seeing the fruits of that labor on the court. Yeah, we unfortunately recorded this before Magic Johnson stepped down, but it does, you know, I thought it was very enlightening to, to, to re-listen to this interview after, you know, Magic Johnson talked about, you know, the struggles it's that no he fun. had. It's yeah, no fun. It's not fun. It's, you know, not everybody can do it or wants to do it. It takes a very specific person. And I hope folks who listen appreciated, you know, this is a side of the sports business world that I don't think gets talked about all that much, right? The, the the culture and fit and the way that, you know, the physical places like your arena and your practice arena, well, look, continuity. Look at the studio. Everything here at Bloomberg, by the way, yeah. everything is transparent. The conference rooms are glass. There's open floor plan. He's taking those philosophies as well. Yep. Just like in all business, you know, sports operates the same way. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since kids. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. And now it's time for the number of the week. Yeah, and Scott, we discussed it, but the number of the week is $84.4 million. Wait a minute, can't we make fun of Barr for last week's number of the week? Oh, a little bit more? The fact that he had the math was This all. is a real number of the week. We <laughs> promise, guys. Um, yeah, $84.4 million. That's what's the remaining on Chris Davis's contract right now. He has four years left on a deal uh, that's going to pay him $84 million. Uh and right now, he's not playing particularly well. If you haven't noticed, he's hitless in his last 50 at-bats. Oh, my God. So far this year, he has 33 plate appearances, zero hits, of course, 15 strikeouts. Um, and this is not to drag Chris. Hitting a baseball is incredibly difficult, uh, but it is tough to watch right now. Uh, one of the highest-paid players in baseball also performing as one of the worst players in the and game. And I was reading a, a story about kind of economic theory, and they were saying – the smart move for the Orioles at this point, and I know it's 50, whatever, but the smart move is to cut them and be done with it. You keep trying to make your investment count for something, and you're chasing, you're chasing, you're chasing, but it's actually the worst thing you can do is keep them out there. They're saying the best move from a from a finance perspective is to just get rid of it. It also makes you wonder if at some point he may go to the Orioles and say, listen, I'm willing to forfeit X millions of dollars to just let me out of this now. All right, you've been listening to the Bloomberg Business of Sports. We are here each and every week at the same time. 
Plus, as a podcast, you can catch that Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. Mr. Barr will be back next week. We missed you, buddy. I am Scott Soshnick. You can follow me on Twitter at Soshnick. And I'm Evan Novi Williams at Novi underscore Williams. Please tune in next week when we dive back into the crazy world of esports with Chris Park, a former MLB executive who's now the CEO of esports franchise Gen G. That's a deep dive for you. I'll be in the shallow end. You are listening to the Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world.